Hey, what's up, church? My name is Pastor Mike, the lead pastor here at Fervent Church, and you're starting 2023 on the right track by joining us today. Uh, this is going to be a one-off message, um, and I want us to, to just really get honest with each other. Like, yo, Pastor Mike, you mean you haven't been honest with us? Yeah, I've been honest, but I'm going to take honesty to a whole nother level right now this year. And I want us to dive into the word, but um, hopefully you're ready. Hopefully if you have your coffee, hopefully you're not just watching us with a hangover from New Year's Eve. Hopefully um, you had a good New Year's Eve and you're ready to kick butt in 2023. I'm ready to kick butt in 2023. And so let's dive into the word today. I want you to turn your attention to John chapter 18, starting at verse 37. And this is right before, this is the scene right before the crucifixion of Jesus. And he was before Pilate. Pilate was a Roman governor at the time. And the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate because the Jews didn't want to kill Jesus. They wanted somebody else's, they wanted the blood on somebody else's hand. So they tried to get Pilate to do it. And Pilate's having this discussion with Jesus. And we're going to pick it up at verse 37. And it says this, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Because that's what they were accusing. They were accusing Jesus of blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus answered, I felt so confidently when he said this. He says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate asked him, what is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. It's a shame. It's a shame that this man who didn't understand the religious context of the day still looked at Jesus and said, I find no fault in him. The only people that found fault in Jesus was religious people. Let that settle in for a second. They were the only people that found fault in Jesus. And sometimes in my life, the only people that find fault in how we're doing ministry and, and, and the, the approach and the style of which we do ministry, if it's just religious people, that, that if religious people are attacking you, you're, you're in good company with Jesus. Come on, can I get a big amen? But he said, I found no fault in him. But I love, I love the stance of Jesus when he says, it was for this cause I was born and this cause I came into this world. For this cause I was born and for this cause I came to, this is the reason I exist. This is the reason why I exist. We're going to dive into this concept in just a few moments, but let us pray together. Father, we ask you right now, we want to step into this year knowing that you are in the driver's seat. Your hand's on the wheel. You lead us. You guide us, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you truly with every minimum of our being, we're asking you to convict us in the areas we need conviction. To grow us in the areas we need to grow in. Comfort us in the areas we need comfort. Heal us in the areas we need healing. And Lord, I pray that you help us see the things you want us to see. Do what only you can do in our midst right now. In Jesus' name, amen. In the chat, if you can, say, today we are. Daring to experience real powerful moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Get your notebooks out because I want you to do a deep dive into discovering your purpose. When I'm, 
training up people and they're trying to decide what method of ministry they're going to choose. And we talk about the concept of, you know, what are the things you continue to do and what are the things you don't do. And in, in, the, in the late 90s, early 2000, there was a discussion in the church and the, with, in regards to the secular and sacred divide, you know, what are the things you're allowed to do in church that are, are of the world or uh, that you could, you could kind of just use for, to, to be relevant? So there, there were times where bands would play cover songs of songs that you heard on the radio, but they would utilize it in a way that ministered to the people in the congregation. But the focal point was still Jesus. They were trying to still impart Jesus, but they were reuse things. And, and, and so I, I try to teach this little mechanism to help people decide this because it's not about being relevant. It's about, honestly, at the end of the day, reaching people for Jesus, period. Here at Fervent Church, I want to do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Can I say that again? I want to do everything short of sin to reach people to Jesus. And I don't want to be legalistic. We're done with religious gimmicks here at Fervent Church. I don't want to be legalistic. I want to walk in freedom. So I developed this tool and I try to teach other pastors. There are things that you could just reuse, okay? Just as is, there are things that you could reuse. You know, maybe you, you, you've seen other churches, they do certain things like, like the way they pray or the way they go through scripture, you know, something called the soap, you know, process, right? Where you have scripture and you have uh, observation and, and then you end up with prayer. Like you have those kind of things. Those are things you just reuse. They're good as is, you know? They're good as is, right? Um, certain Bible readings, they're good. You could reuse. And then certain things you just have to reject. They don't belong in the church, all right? There's no way that you could reuse Baby Got Back on the stage, okay? There's no way we could implement that in worship and say that that's bringing people closer to Jesus. You got to reject it, all right? Baby Got Back was the only song that I feel that most of our audience could understand and know. <laughs> I was like, could I pick a younger song or an older song? No. That's probably in the middle right there, right? We can't reuse Baby Got Back. It, that is, you can't redeem that. But then there are things you could redeem. There are things that you could see that they weren't intended. They weren't intended to be uh, uh, in the church, but you could redeem it and utilize it and leverage it to bring people close to Jesus, right? So there are things you reuse, there are things you reject, and then there are things that you can redeem, Okay. They're things you can redeem. Listen, Christmas is, is, is something that we redeemed, right? They, they, they redeemed winter solstice and bringing trees inside of our homes. And we redeemed it because at the end of the day, we said, at the, we said we're going to take this, we're going to redeem it, and we're going to make sure that Jesus is at the center of it, right? Newsflash, it, wasn't, it didn't originate in the church. We took it and we added redemption to it. All right. So there's things that you could just simply reuse. You don't have to change the thing. There are things that you just have to reject. They don't have any place here. But then there are some things that we can redeem. And what a beautiful image it is of the gospel of Jesus that to take something that, that didn't start off well, but it ended glorifying Jesus. That's my life. I'm redeemed. You're redeemed. You're redeemed. You didn't start off. You didn't start off, you know, living out in freedom. You didn't start off living life with the purpose of serving Jesus. You didn't start off that way. You were redeemed. So we should be experts in redemption in the church. Come on, I'm preaching in 2023. Experts in this. So here's a phrase. I set it all up for this very moment right here. Here's a phrase that I want us to redeem this morning. And it's this phrase. What's your problem? 
What's your problem? Have you ever said that in an angry tone, right? You know, usually if you're married or you're in a relationship and someone wears their heart on their sleeve, you know, they're walking around grumpy, intentionally slamming things, you know, slamming cabinets, slamming doors, and they don't want to say anything. They're just quiet. They sit there real silent on the couch while you're watching TV together. And after a while, you snap and you go, yo, what's your problem? What's your problem? And it's in a negative way, but I want to redeem it. I want to redeem it. Because when I'm asking you today, what's your problem? I'm asking you, what's your cause? I'm asking you to understand this very principle today. Your purpose in life is attached to a problem. All year, the entire 2022 year, I've been trying to figure out ways how to make people care. And I realize I can't make you care more. Trying to find ways to help people break through their apathy. I believe that apathy was always there, but something about the pandemic, something about staying at home, something about not having to come out on a Sunday morning just increased what was already there. It increased our apathy. It increased our, people are very lethargic now when it comes to church, right? And I'm, and I'm generally speaking, if you're on fire for God, keep going, right? But generally speaking, there's something that all pastors, when I get together with some other pastors, that they're all talking about the same thing. Lack of volunteers, lack of giving, lack of worshiping, lack of people really interested in church. That's why the statistic is that people, a normal member of your church only shows up 1.4 times a month. Why? Because I could just watch it online. I could just stay at home. And not to beat a dead horse, but I'm going to keep on saying it. You're not back into church until you're back into community. But there's this apathy that we're fighting. There's apathy. And it hit me when I was reading this book. I was reading this book, and there was a quote in the book. Uh, and It was a business book. And the quote said this. The quote said, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Fall in love with the problem and not the solution. And that phrase haunted me. Because as I look at the church, I think that's what has happened. I think we, we fell in love with the way we did church. We fell in love with the solution. You've heard me say this before, is that we're, we're not married to the method. We're married to the mission. All right, so that's more of a sanctified way of saying this phrase. But we've, some of us have fallen in love with the solution and not fallen in love with the problem. So in the business world, they're trying to impart this principle like, no, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. You will have a successful business if your product solves a problem. You have to be passionate about solving the problem, not just passionate about. There's a lot of good products out there, cool products even, right? I love going to those gadget stores in the, in the airport and seeing all these cool gadgets. I don't buy it because it doesn't solve a problem, but it's cool to look at. And I think at times we've fallen in love with the way we've done church. We've fallen in love with the way we've done religion, but we forgot about the problem. And your purpose isn't attached to the solution. Your purpose is attached to the problem because the solution might change, 
but your purpose and the problem still remains. And so this verse is significant. The verse that we read in, Matthew, in John 18 is significant because here Jesus highlights this issue of the truth. There are people that do not know the truth. What is the truth? The truth is this, that we have a problem called sin. And because of that sin, we have a problem called death. And because of that death, we have a problem with us not having a real relationship with the Father, a real relationship with God. There's a problem, and Jesus said, for this reason, for this cause I was born, and for this reason I'm in this world. It's because of this problem that people don't know the truth. And it's the truth that's going to set people free. It's this problem. Many of us, you don't know what your problem is. You don't know your purpose. And you don't know your problem. You don't know your purpose because you don't know your problem. When he says this cause, that equals this problem. The problem that we were creating in the image of God. But because of sin, we're broken. This problem that this disobedience creates separation from God and sometimes his blessings. This problem that we've tried to reconcile this relationship in other ways in the Old Testament it, through sacrifices and ceremonies. And, and it didn't quite get us there to be reconciled with the Father until Jesus came in. Just celebrated Christmas. Jesus came into the picture and he lived this blameless life so that he could pay for the penalty of our sins to reconcile us with the Father. And not only reconcile the Father, but to give us victory because he conquered death. Because he rose three days later, he conquered death and gave us victory so that we could walk in victory. The problem was sin, the problem was death, the problem was us not having a relationship with God. And he says, for this cause, for this reason, I am here. So write this down. Problems are opportunities to live out my purpose. Problems are opportunities to live out my purpose. So I'm redeeming it in a positive way. I'm not saying, what's your problem? I'm asking you, what is your problem? What is the problem that God has called you to? I think don't continue living this year. And when I say living, obviously keep breathing. But I'm saying living and walking and going through daily routines and daily schedules. And, and just don't jump back on the hamster wheel if you don't know what problem has God called you to. Because your purpose is attached to your problem. And problems are opportunities for you to live out your purpose. Okay, here's a few things I need you to know in regards to your problems. Ready? Number one, you are overwhelmed by the problems of the world when you don't know your problem. You are overwhelmed by the problems of the world when you don't know your problem. This might take some time, but you need to dive in and learn about what is your problem. What is the thing God is calling you to? And maybe the church world has done you of injustice because that, that, that sounds weird. What's your calling? What's your purpose, right? But think about it from the standpoint. I'm hoping that this brings just a fresh revelation to your life. It was, you ask it in this way. What's the problem? And mostly it's the problem that like really, really, really makes your heart grieve. Is usually the problem that you're called to. But if you don't know what your problem is, everything overwhelms you. I remember there was this one girl who I was mentoring, 
and uh, she was one of our students at, at the previous location that we had. And, and I remember her just anytime anything was on TV, she felt the weight of the world on her shoulders. You know, she would watch the, you know, the, the SPCA, ASPCA commercials, you know, or the dogs that are malnourished and you're Sarah McLaughlin in the background, you know, in the arms of an angel, right? And you would start crying and, we'd, and she's like, the church has to do something with all these dogs and cats that really need our help. And she would watch another commercial about, you know, some some the, the homeless people or watch another commercial about the kids in Africa and feel the church needs to do this and the church needs to do that. And I was like, you got to pick one problem, girl. We can't handle all the problems. And she would be so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed by all the problems of the world. Until one day I asked her, no, what is the problem that you're called to? I'm trying to help churches even now through, you know, a side project that we have called Peak to, for them to understand where does the design of your church intersect with the needs of the community. Because you can't be all things. You can't be all things. You have to focus on what, why are you there in that town? Why are you there in that community? What has God called you to? And again, what's your problem? What's your problem? What is the problem that God has called you to? Because if you, you don't know your problem, you will be overwhelmed by the problem. And trust me, there are plenty of problems in this world. Can I get a big amen? There are tons of problems out there that could grab your attention, all right? There are tons of problems out there, right? There's, you name it. You watch the news, and it'll just pile on you, okay? And we have to function as the body of Christ, meaning that we can't focus on everything, right? Some people will come and be like, well, Pastor Mike, do you, are you, do you ever have a desire to have a, uh, some type of AA ministry or, uh, you know, narcotics anonymous ministry. Sure, we would love to do that. But right now, that's not the problem that we're called to do, right? That's not, we're not currently wired for that. Maybe later on, but at the end of the day, we're called to make disciples. We're called to reach our community. We're called to, to reach the unchurched and the overchurched, right? That's right now is our problem. I know there are other problems, I know, I know there are other things. I know there's, right now we support France as a mission field, right? Because that, that area is severely unchurched and, and they're walking away from, from, from church altogether and religion altogether. And so that's what we're focusing on. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, what about Africa? And, or what about England? Or what about this? I'm not saying that those aren't problems. I'm just saying we have to understand and know and be focused on what's our problem. What's our problem to solve? And as a family, your family, what's your family's problem to solve? I want you engaged in the community. I want you to, to focus on the things you need to focus on. But you can't focus on everything right now. And you could be very overwhelmed. But to ask God, okay, God, in this season, what's the problem you, you've called us to? Maybe in regards to your relationships, maybe what's the problem that we're called to? Because you can feel so overwhelmed trying to overhaul your entire relationship. Well, what would it look like if you just ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you some discernment and say, what's the problem for the season that we need to focus on? And let's let the main thing be the main thing right now because you can feel so overwhelmed. You can be so stressed out and anxious when you don't know your problem. You don't know your problem. And maybe your problem is that you don't know your problem. And I'm giving you the permission to pause, okay? Keep things moving, but pause. And, but just 
prayfully figure that out. Read scripture, pray, pray. Listen to me. I need us to stop fronting for a second. I think sometimes we know you'll never feel like you've prayed enough. As your pastor, there's times I like, I'm not praying enough. I don't think I'll ever feel like I pray enough. But I know the difference between feeling like I'm not praying enough and knowing that I haven't prayed at all. And some of us have not prayed at all. We react without prayer. It's the American way. Come on. I told you I'm taking honesty to a whole nother level. Let's stop fronting for a second. Don't act like, you, girl, I'll pray for you. No, you don't. Right? Yeah, I'll pray, bro. No, you don't. All right? Let's just be honest. And say, yes, you know, there, there are moments where we pray, but we know when we haven't prayed, when we go on weeks without praying, okay, stop for a second. Let's hit pause. Let's make sure that we're praying to God and figuring out what's the problem he's called us. Maybe not the problem for, that you're called to your entire life, but at least for the season, for, to ask him, what's the problem that I'm called to in this season? And if you get clarity for your whole life, that's amazing. That's amazing. I think the problem that I want to solve is that I want to mentor the fatherless, right? When I say fatherless, I'm not saying even biologically. I'm just mentoring people who are devoid of other people, uh, mentoring them. And, and so I want to come in and I want to help people. I want to give people what I, what I didn't have. I grew up without my biological father. So I, I want to make sure that people who, who, who are struggling in the area of mentorship, that they have someone to turn to. That's, the pro- that's what I'm called to. At the end of the day, you could take away the pastor title. You could take away the church. But all I know is I'm going to find people that are devoid of mentorship mentorship and I'm going to fill that hole. That is the problem that I'm called to. And there are moments where I feel overwhelmed by all things church and all things in our denomination and all things in the world. And I got to fall back on what is my problem that I'm called to. Y'all getting that? Number two, you are distracted by other people's problems when you don't know your problem. So you're overwhelmed by the problems of the world when you don't know your problem. And number two, you are distracted by other people's problems when you don't know your problem. There's a verse, uh, a story in Luke chapter 10. And uh, there's a woman named Martha who had Jesus at her house. And there's people that were hanging out. And, um, well, let me read it to you. Verse 38 said, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, talking about Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And, but Martha, watch this, was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Has left me to serve alone? I, I had the craziest Christmas Eve the last couple of weeks, man. I, I, we had 30 people in my little town home. Um, and so me and my wife, we're, we're, we're being good hosts and we're extending hospitality and we're, we're cleaning and we're cooking and we're serving and we're this and we're that. And so I understand the stress level when you, and especially, you know, I had just family members. Imagine having Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world, the creator of the world, right? Sitting there chilling at your house. Like you want to give him the best hospitality you could ever create, right? And so she's stressed out. And then she gets to the place where she cracks and she goes, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
We get there, don't we? We're so distracted. You're so distracted by other people's problems that you don't know your problem. So that's what she was. She was distracted that her sister wasn't serving. How, how, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her? She knows, she knows how important this is. She's just sitting there talking to Jesus, and I'm over here serving. She wasn't aware. And then she, she, she demanded, she says, therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answers her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. She missed it. She missed it. She was so distracted with other people's problems that she missed out on her problem. She was so busy, and I hope this hits you right between the eyes. She was so busy serving Jesus that she missed out on being with him. So busy serving Jesus that she missed out on being with him. She was so distracted by other people's problems. I bet you she was like, oh, you know, I wonder what our neighbors are saying right now. And I wonder that everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be top notch. Because I don't want anybody telling me that I didn't give Jesus the best hospitality in this village. She was so worried about other people that she forgot about her own issue. And her own issue was that she was missing out on what was happening right in front of her eyes because she was so distracted by everyone else's issues. I think that some of us distract ourselves with other people's issues intentionally and unintentionally. We distract ourselves with other people's issues just so that we don't have to face ours. Can I say that again? We distract ourselves with other people's issues just so that we don't have to face ours. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to us, listen to me. Those of us who are critical, constantly critical of the church, of people in the church, of people at your workplace, of your family members, of your spouse, whatever you name it, you're constantly critical. Could it be, could it be that we're trying to distract ourselves with other people's issues so that we don't have to face ours? Come on, let's be honest. The, the issue isn't worship. The issue isn't lighting. The issue isn't the seats that you're in. The issue isn't the time of service. Come on. The issue isn't how the coffee tastes. The issues, those aren't the issues. The issues aren't the, the type of music we, we choose. The issues aren't the, the, the translation of scripture that we use, right? You know, which version? I use the NIV. Well, I consider the NIV the non-inspired version. <laughs> what? It's not about that. There's a distraction. It's a distraction. You're distracted with other people's issues just so that you don't have to face your own. And again, if you understand what your problem is and the problem that you're called to, I guarantee you, 
that your criticism would decrease because you know what you're supposed to be focused on. Y'all getting this? So we are incredibly distracted by other people's problems when you don't know your problem. Last one I want to give you this morning is I think you're missing out on solving your problem when you don't know your problem. You're missing out on solving your problem when you don't know your problem. Jesus said, remember he said, take the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of someone else. Take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else. Doesn't it, it's such a ridiculous imagery that he painted, right? Like you have a plank, this is a big old thing. Are you complaining about the speck in someone else's eye? You know? We want to solve the world's problems. But we, again, when you don't know what your problem is. Now I'm going to switch it up. I know I redeemed that phrase, but some of us, you don't know the problem that you're called to. And you also don't know the problem that you live with. Okay? You're called to a problem. So what is your problem? And then also I want to say it in a loving but aggressive way. What is your problem? Come on now. Your, your problem isn't the people around you. Maybe your problem is your insecurity. And for so long you haven't dealt with it. Now it's time to actually deal with it. Let's take the plank out of your own eye before you take you there's I love it when people are like we just want to correct the church and correct this and there's a there's a movement and, and sometimes I ever I go down the, the TikTok and the YouTube rabbit trail of of people criticizing the church, you know? Um, and the church is this and church, I've heard people, you know, making fun of preachers on TikTok, you know, and 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 I've heard people making fun of worship songs on TikTok, and they're so smug about it. And, and I got to stop myself from being so offended by it. And, 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 and I can't fight criticism with criticism, you know. So I'm deadlocked, and I just pray for peace, and I let it go. But can I be the one to, to remind myself and remind everyone listening today? Jesus has one project, and that's the church. He has one project, and that's the church. We, we need to fall in love with Jesus and then fall in love with what Jesus is in love with, and that's his church. He has one project. He doesn't have another project. He doesn't have a side project, y'all. He has one project, and that's the church, a church that he's building, a church that he's the cornerstone of. He's the foundation of it. He's the head of it. He has one project, and that's the church. And so in this critical world... We're trying to pick apart the church. Newsflash, you are the church. <laughs> You're picking apart yourself. So if we're going to do it, let's do it right, and let's take the plank out of our own eye. That pettiness, that negativity, it's not the church's fault. It's on you. Take the plank out of your own eye. I'm talking to a bunch of pastor friends, one specifically, his name is Sean. He, he's a pastor in Alabama. And I felt bad because he was, he was, we were talking and he says, hey, what's your, what's your word for the year? Because that's the thing other churches do. You know, they have that word. This is their word for the year or phrase for the year. And I was tempted to say, Yo, our phrase is, what's your problem? <laughs> but then he was like telling me that his word this year is breakthrough. 
And in the back of my head, like, shout out, Sean, I love you to death. But I was like, that is so churchy breakthrough. And again, I'm becoming the thing that I'm critical of. So let me take the plank out of my own eye <laughs> and, and, and do a deep dive and pray. All right, Lord, what's, what's our word for fervent church? Because I haven't done this in years. I haven't done it in years. I'm going to be honest. Bad pastor, naughty pastor. Haven't done it in years. So I prayed. I prayed right before, you know, uh, a couple hours before preaching this. I said, Lord, I, I need you to speak to me about our word. Haven't done it a really ton, a long time. Forgive me if this is something that I, I'm supposed to do. Um, sometimes I, I pride myself in being different just for the sake of being different. Um, and that's wrong. So I repent and I'm sorry, Lord. So I'm opening myself up in humility. I'm coming to you. And I don't want to be different just to be different. I want to serve you. I want to be obedient to you. Help me solve the problem of apathy. I want to attack that problem of apathy in our church. And he gave me this word, and for a second it didn't make sense. I was thinking maybe I just made it up. But it's the word finally. Finally. And the Holy Spirit had to explain it to me because finally, not in the sense of like we've arrived, because you'll never arrive. We'll never graduate from learning. But I think that we're missing out on solving our problem when we don't know our problem for us to finally know our issues and for us to finally make healing a priority and for us to finally stop being petty and start letting the main thing be the main thing and for us to finally be on mission with Jesus and for some of us that you've been in church so long for us to finally get on the path towards leadership and leading other people for us to finally enjoy church and again, you don't arrive on those things, but it's just to finally get to another level in those things. Finally. To finally get to another level in healing. To finally get to another level in freedom. To finally get to another level in revelation. And hearing God more. Hearing God again. Or maybe actually hearing God for the very first time. To finally get there. For us to finally... Stop being so fixated on the size of a church. Because some of us were anti-big church and some of us were anti-small church. It has nothing to do with size. We're falling in love with the problem. What is the problem? The problem is there's so many people out there that aren't experiencing the love of God on a daily basis. And let's fall in love with that problem. Because the solution might change. If we didn't learn anything out of a pandemic, I know I'm tired of talking about the pandemic, but, but if we didn't learn anything about the pandemic, that we couldn't be attached to the solution of a Sunday morning. We had to be in love with the problem, and that's making disciples, living in community that's Jesus-centric, and following Jesus and loving Jesus with all our heart, mind, and will. That, that right there is what we're all called to. What is your problem? What is your problem? For us to finally at least know. Maybe for, that's the next finally for you. Finally, to finally know. I need to work on my insecurities. It's because it's, I'm paralyzed by it. I, I need to work on my, my critical heart, my bitterness. I need to work on to stop spreading uh, just toxicity in my relationships. For me to finally stop gossiping. 
for me to finally stop nitpicking other people when I know darn well I got my own issues. And I'm going to stop talking about you and I'm going to start helping you. For me to finally mature. For me to finally lead. For me to finally fall back in love with Jesus and the people around me. Finally. Finally. I think finally we're going to be the fervent church that God has called us to be. Finally. After the multiple mergers, transitions, and turbulence, for us to finally be the fervent that God has called us to be. I'm believing that, and I hope you are too. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we ask you right now for everyone watching, for us to do the work to figure out our purpose. And for some of us, you might just only want to let us know the purpose for the season, and that's fine. We receive that in humility. Or for some of us, we might discover the problem that we're called to and the purpose that we have in this world. And for us to learn to be confident in that. And just like Jesus to say, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I am in this world. And Lord, maybe there's someone watching right now that they didn't realize that that is, that is the Jesus that they have yet to meet in their lifetime. They have yet to meet that Jesus that loves them, that have yet to meet that Jesus, they have yet to experience that, that church that Jesus is leading that is welcoming and inviting to everyone that wants to know love and that you accept them and that you offer them this gift, this gift of forgiveness and grace that you paid for on the cross and for them to receive that gift of victory and freedom over death and sin, that you've given us that victory when you conquered the grave and rose three days later. I pray for those. Let them know that if they believe that with their hearts, that they're a part of the family of God and we welcome them in and we thank you for them and all of heaven rejoices. In Jesus' name, amen.